Hello everyone, you're listening to the Belladance Live podcast. I'm your host Jana Komarnitska and I'm thrilled to share a new portion of dance inspiration with you. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe and receive automatic updates about our new episodes. And if you are our regular listener, welcome back. Please leave your reviews on whichever app you're listening. They really help me promote the show and spread awareness about Belladance art form. Plus, I really like hearing back from you. On this note, let's get to our today's episode. Are you thinking about visiting Cairo? Instead of staying at a regular hotel, check an amazing option of Yasmina of Cairo B&B. As a dancer herself, Yasmina opened her stunning home in Cairo to dancers from all over the world, where she offers accommodation, home-cooked food, dance classes right there at her own home studio next to your room, as well as photo shoots. You can take classes with Yasmina or other teachers, check her parties and workshops with live music, and ask her to help you navigate Cairo, for instance, to figure out how to book shows to watch or which sites and places to visit or where to go shopping. And as a professional photographer, Yasmina also offers photo shoots at the B&B with its beautiful oriental backdrops as well as on locations around Cairo and Egypt. Book your stay at the B&B or a photo shoot with Yasmina by contacting her on Facebook or Instagram at Yasmina of Cairo or by emailing her at yasmina at yasminaofcairo.com. Links will be included in the show notes. Uh, this summer in Cairo, I had quite a few discoveries artistically from dance point of view, from performance point of view, specifically dancing to live music, and about many of my discoveries, that uh, dance discoveries uh, that I did in Cairo, I keep sharing here on the podcast, on social media, inside the Yana Dance Club, but big part of that exploration was informed by the fact that I'm not usually traveling alone. I have amazing advantage of traveling together with a musician and uh, having that perspective and that input really influenced even my discoveries as a dancer. So are you ready? <laughs> because yes, we are bringing Pedro Bonato back to the Belly Dance Live podcast. This is going to be our third episode together. Pedro is my life and work uh, partner collaborator on all creative projects and this summer it was not only about me participating in festivals and discovering and learning more but also he had a very amazing interesting experience of playing together with Arabic bands, Egyptian bands who are specializing in performing for ballet dancers, who are specializing in performing for festivals uh, as well and uh, Pedro had unique opportunity to join them during their rehearsals and see this process from inside and obviously our explorations from both perspective from music and dance gave each other new ideas and angles on how to see and uh, process new information but also inspired many interesting projects and partially big part of the our newest Cairo Ballet Dance Guide Intensive, which we are presenting at the Young Dance Club, was inspired specifically with the advantage that we saw this process from both sides. And I have been thinking for a long time to bring Pedro to the podcast and to talk about his experience of playing together with Egyptian band here in Cairo. But at some point, I also realized that it would be cool to share something that we recorded literally while it was happening, literally after our marathon of one month non-stop festival after festival, event after event. And the fact that we also recorded a special episode for our show together, Artist Date, talking about our impressions and our experience while it was still going on. So, today on the Belladance Live podcast, we have a little snippet from one of the episodes of the Artist Date, which I'm sure many of you have no idea, actually, that we are doing a show together with Pedro about our travel and work experience together. You can find it also on iTunes, on all the podcast apps, on YouTube, because we are doing it in video format, first of all. But that specific talk was particularly about music and experience, and it was from both his and my perspective. 
So I thought that it would be really cool to share here because uh, it's uh, a little bit more informal, a little bit more raw, but very, very fresh impressions of what we both were discovering about dancing to live music and how it works specifically here in Cairo with Egyptian dancers, but also with Egyptian musicians who are playing live at ballet dance festivals for mostly foreign dancers, foreign participants of the festival. So if you are participant of our current intensive at the Yana Dance Club, which is Cairo Ballet Dance Guide, you'll get a little bit more formalized conclusions and content that we created based on this idea of thinking how we can not only talk about this experience, but give you a little chance to somehow Feel it yourself and have a little bit more deeper understanding, not only by listening to our talks, but by experiencing it as much as possible in the online format. So that was put as a part of our Cairo Baladins guide. And I'm so excited for all participants of that intensive to soon, very soon this week, to start diving into specifically that topic as a part of that intensive. But this talk that you will hear today at the Baladance Life podcast, it was literally, as I said, our fresh impressions that we were sharing right after this one month of marathon of uh, festivals. And later, based on those impressions, we actually developed what now we are presenting as part of our intensive at the Yana Dance Club. So I hope you will enjoy. I hope for um, people who are listening to this podcast, but also participating in the intensive, you will also feel the value of hearing us uh, uh, freshly discovering all this even new stuff for us. And then um, you will see how we were trying to transform it and to share it that, look, this exists actually in Baladin's world. And I really sincerely wish this topic was taught more and more at different events and by many different dancers who are experienced in actually dancing and collaborating with Egyptian bands. And I hope that this talk will also give you at least opportunity or open your eyes on what actually is, exists. So next time that you're watching Egyptian dancer performing to her own band, you know what to look at and you will have a little bit more understanding of what is actually going on on stage. So I hope you will enjoy this talk. As usual, don't forget to screenshot it and share later with your friends, share on social media, tag me, tag Pedro, uh, share with us what surprised or impressed you the most. And on this note, let's dive on the um, today's episode and good luck with your further dance explorations. It's this time of the year. The Belly Dance Bundle is back with sale running from November 2nd to the 10th. This bundle brings together dance teachers from around the globe who teach online and it offers a unique opportunity for dancers to purchase a package of classes from not just two, three or five teachers, but from more than 30 instructors. You're basically getting a 90% discount comparing to the total price you would pay in case of purchasing each class separately. When else do you get the opportunity to try out a ton of teachers and subjects like this? With a combination of pre-recorded classes and scheduled online events, the bundle ensures that you've always got something new to practice and a group of people to dance alongside. No matter your level or the amount of time you have to dedicate to your dance at home, you'll find several courses and subjects that work for you in the bundle. But remember, you can purchase it only during the sales time from November 2nd to the 10th. Check out thebaladinsbundle.com or find it on Instagram at thebaladinsbundle to see this year's teachers and get ready to dance. It's thebaladinsbundle.com, link in the show notes. And you had a very interesting experience with your rehearsal. Yeah, too. so that was funny. So um, I was... Um, I was very curious about the, because um, I play this instrument, in case you're new to the show, called the tabla or the darbuka or the derbakia, which is this uh, drum that uh, you put it on your lap. And it's a very important drum in uh, Arabic music all over, not only the Middle East, but the Balkans and beyond. But it's a um, very ancient drum too. It's like the earliest ones. We even saw one in Turkey that was about from the Hittite Empire that was about 4,000 years old. So same structure, 
Um, and uh, it has been a pursuit of mine for the last, I don't know how many years, to like learn it and uh, incorporate as it, in my practice as a, as a musician. And each place has its own, um, let's say, flavor and ways of playing. It's sort of like you have, let's say, rock and roll, then you have classical guitar, then you have uh, flamenco guitar. And you'll all have different techniques and different um, approaches to the drum. With that said, I was very curious to see how they did uh, the drumming in Egypt specifically, which is sort of like the focus point for belly dance. And uh, one, I think we mentioned that on the previous episode, but um, uh, like how here the the drummer, like so the, the tabla player, he follows the dancer. And we're going to come back to that concept later. But So they do things in a different way here. They sort of like have to have this interaction with the dancer that uh, is different than in other places where I learned. Right? It's like sort of like you learn the song, you learn drum solos, you learn the music, and the dancer follows. And here's sort of the other way around. Like uh, the, 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 the musician has to catch what the dancer is doing. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's how they do actually in Egypt. But right away I want to refer like a note. If some of the belly dancers are watching us who went to festival or experienced it and they say, like, no, 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 they don't follow me, etc. It's... Um, uh, what is as a typical Egyptian show in terms of dance and music communication? Yes, it's the drummer and in general band kind of follows the dancer, but if the dancer actually knows how to lead them. Yes, yes. So if they see you leading and you know what is going on and you had some relationship with the band before, like that you have already communication, then that would be the case and it's quite fascinating what they're doing. But if you're conscious as a ballet dancer, you never performed with a band, you don't really know what does it mean to lead the band or to make the drama work, yeah. then it will be this yeah. balance of still like following what you hear. Yeah, basically, it's just for what Jan is saying is that uh, during the festival, it's an artificial environment for doing this. Yeah. So, uh, but in any case, that's how supposedly they do it here. And I was very skeptical because I saw some of the ways that they were performing in the first uh, festival. And I was thinking, there's no way this is not choreographed because it was too precise. And then Jan was saying, yes, it is. And then at some point she was proven right because uh, I talked to the musicians. And then I had the opportunity to have a class with one of the top drummers here. Um, and then uh, next day we had this rehearsal, which is the one that Jan was mentioning. And in Egypt... Like in Brazil, it's sort of like that, but not to the extent that is here, that things sort of like happen spontaneously and they do not really have a beginning time. Like, or at least if they have a beginning time, it's the beginning to start beginning. And the way that they do it, uh, it was very interesting. So they said like, oh, there's going to be a rehearsal. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. Uh, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's, let's do it. And I was ready. 4 6 30 and then they said oh no come back at uh, 7 30 also i did not know where the place was going to be that's also a funny thing that happens here in cairo in general not just with musicians is that because the streets are very chaotic sometimes even if you put the specific address of a place on a map or something it will not be to not point you point you to that place specifically it's very chaotic so usually people send you um like a location geolocation on the apps to say exactly where they are. In this case, they sort of told me, oh, it's close to this place. Um, but somehow, at some point, I'm waiting around in front of this hotel, and then the musicians come, or two of the musicians come in the car, and say, oh, Pedro, hey, and then they took me to the place. Then I found out the place is actually on Google, perfectly well um, located. But it's like a rehearsal space in Giza, huge like room for a rehearsal space. And... But before that, you have to everybody get together and have coffee and talk. That's mandatory. And I guess this is one of those things that is very interesting from the point of, from a cultural point of view, like especially being like me being from Brazil, Yana being from Ukraine, us having lived in Canada and uh, like Turkey and in a few other places too, and now in Egypt, you see cultural differences on how people approach work and business and life. And one of them, this I knew since I moved to Canada, because in Brazil, basically the idea is you become friends and then you work together. Uh, in Canada, in the US, and I guess most Anglo-Saxon places, like we work together, then if we work together nicely, maybe we'll become friends. It's the other way around. In Egypt, they have um, 
they have this thing that the way that I interpret it's like I will work with friends so you become friends and then they get super warm super nice it's really cool but then they always have the socialization part before any actual work mm -hmm. so it was supposed to be 6.30, then 7.30, then actually it was like 8.30 that people got, like all the musicians actually ended up gathering to, to go to the rehearsal. And then it's like this coffee shop in front and everybody's chatting and talking and very, like, very lively and very nice and everybody's very warm. Um, and then you finally go to the, to the rehearsal spot. And so that was already 9, 9 p.m. Let's say that's the time that it sort of started happening. Actually, And... Um, a lot of some musicians started coming in and out and uh, like arriving and then going through the music. And bear in mind, these are not slackers. These are the top musicians for belly dancers in the country, like all of these guys. They, uh, one thing that I noticed, they know the repertoire inside and out of classical Arabic music all the way to very pop songs. They Sometimes they can read and write music. Sometimes they have composers. But they learn so fast and so, like, they know the music inside and out. It's fascinating to see. Very good technique. Um, and the other thing that is funny that brought, brings me back to the 80s, that in Egypt, people smoke inside, indoors. That's common here. Like, you go to a hotel, go to a bar, you go to anywhere, people are smoking inside. So now imagine, and basically almost all musicians that I met, they smoke, like, cigarettes, heavily. And... Imagine 13 to 14 guys inside the closed room smoking cigarettes to the point that, let's say, some instruments you are like playing, let's say, the kanun, um, which is sort of like this horizontal harp that they play in, uh, in Arabic music. And the guy had his cigarette and he was playing, holding the cigarette with his mouth and playing. So you had this fog of smoke that I haven't had since the 80s when you go to like a party and then you have to take your clothes out and then just put it to wash. When you came home, I wanted to put you in the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, I opened the door and it's this hate of smoke. Yeah, it, and that was that <laughs> every day. you are not smoking. No, yeah, and it's, uh, and it's funny. So the rehearsal was like, so you start the music, everybody already like knows the, the music that they're going to perform like well already but there are like let's say some new tunes that they want to to learn for a specific dancer in this case um uh it was one of the top uh dancers here in uh, in cairo and uh, this music was created specifically for him so and he had a lot of different sections so we went there to rehearse that uh, that song and um it went until 4 a.m and at some point I was like, because I was excited to play. So, and I was really paying attention to, and in this case, I did not even know I was going to play. I was just there to observe the rehearsal. Um, and then at some point I start hitting the drum just to learn the beats, what they're doing here and that. And then one of the drummers said, oh, just sit here with us. Like, uh, and then uh, they saw that I, because I had a lot of experience with uh, like Arabic orchestras, and uh, they said, oh, okay, he can play, he knows, so let him play around. And still, I did not know if I was going to play afterwards. Like it was, so I went to the, show, to, the, to the place of the show, this hotel where the show was going to be, and he goes, oh, why are you not with a white shirt or with a black shirt? And I'm like, well, I don't know. If you're performing, you need to have your black shirt. So actually, Yana brought it uh, Yeah, for me. but it was like, the case that, again, you came earlier to see the rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, because uh, often yes. rehearsals in the festivals, they happen literally just before performance. Um, and so you, you came to see the rehearsal, and suddenly you discovered you're performing. So that's just how things in Egypt happen. Yeah, They're it, very spontaneous, even... One, two hours before, you don't know, are you meeting with this person or you're not meeting this person? Is it going to happen or not going to happen? I mean, some things, they are exactly as it said, like, because we actually get, went to a bunch of music concerts around Cairo, not festival, like, but in general concert, and they were starting, like, precisely, we were like, yeah, oh sorry. my God, not even five minutes waiting time, you know, like, it's not everywhere. Not even in Canada, so, people start that uh, precisely, yeah. yeah. But many things... 
you can't plan. You can plan beyond tomorrow, and sometimes for tomorrow you can't even plan for sure yeah. anything. It just it just how it happens. We already gave up. I was like, okay, that's that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> and also like that's one of those things that it's. Uh, uh, I don't know. Like it's one of it's really interesting to see because uh, just as uh, like we're not going to get into that part specifically, but like just as an example, I had the opportunity to have a class with one of the master teachers, one of the master drummers here that we met during this festival and he was very nice and uh, and um, and uh, and helping me out like with uh, drumming and the way that uh, that it happens like he invited me to go watch a recording of one specific ballad song that he was recording the drumming part he says oh do you want to come see like sure of course i want and uh, it was one of those things at 2 a.m he messaged me about the next day to to do that which is like fine that's how they they work late right so and then okay they're going to record and then at some point uh, it was a whole day process because, okay, we get together, we go have coffee, then we go to the, to the location to recording. And then he said, oh, do you want to like have a class? Like we want to, to practice a bit. Like, yeah, sure. Let's go to my place. He said, and then we go there. Then he already has like food. Um, and this is all like as friends. And, um, and then he puts out the drums. Then he starts teaching me a lot of stuff. And then at some point we get tired. And then we, he goes, we go to have like some more coffee, more tea. And uh, that's how they... And then I asked, okay, so what are your plans for... Because I still had that uh, thing of like, oh, let me honor your time. Like, let me... Like, oh, it's from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. And like those kinds of things. And here they don't have that... Uh, for the most part, they don't have that... Um, that... Um, um, approach to, to time management, which also, of course, will have issues, but it will also have a lot of very interesting potentials when you open yourself to it, right? So Yeah, we were just discussing mm -hmm. with a friend of ours what, yesterday, and she mentioned very nice uh, thing about that. It's this way, although it's very unproductive in a sense that a thing that should take like i don't know one hour half an hour will take you three hours sometimes and even like i remember in one store we went uh, again this friend of ours and she purchased a bunch of stuff already before so she went there to pick, just up, to pick it up and, pay. and they were like okay you need to pack it and they're just sitting like oh, okay okay i was like they're hanging out hey, yeah is anyone actually packing stuff no they're just hanging out so 20 minutes afterwards they finally start holding something so it's kind of like gets for certain things very unproductive at the same time this kind of not planning but spontaneity uh what, spontaneity what, spontaneity what yesterday uh, a friend mentioned she was like oh yeah it kind of makes you be present in the moment like okay it's about today it's what happens today yeah so it, it's interesting like very different approach and mentality yeah and also like um people will decide to do things sort of like last minute and some of the best things that we went to like they are happened like do you want to go tomorrow to the same or even sometimes today to the same so it's sort of like this endless call to adventure that happens yes. here and uh, we will talk about this when we actually talk about the layers of egypt in another episode this is what we're trying to focus more on the festivals but it does have many layers so you think there's let's say the touristic layer when you come there is uh a little bit beyond that when you start making friends and knowing people or when you go with a purpose to the place and then other things start happening and they do not happen fast also it's like it took us like a month or and two and i actually think we are very fast because many dancers i think it takes i mean dancers or people who we know who came here they thought oh we just come in for one two months and they end up spending a few years here if not like more yeah. than a few years and some people even settle and actually live here that's how it happens because it takes a while for us it just happened that we know a lot of people so it took a little yeah. bit a while to start meeting in person because people were traveling or we were excited to go do like you know the first um, round of sightseeing tours, etc. But once we start happening, then it kind of like you hear from this person, this person, this person, like, oh, here's this thing, and things that you will not really find, find on your own, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Uh, so I think we are actually on a very fast track yeah, compared yeah. to what it usually takes. Yeah, it's uh, different, um, let's say, uh, different worlds. Every place is like that, like if you read... Uh, Carlos Castaneda and all those guys, like, yeah, like there's worlds inside the same city. We're not living in the same place. 
uh, and not just for an economic or geographical point of view, even the mindset and the, the relationships you have. But coming back to the to the festival, so my experience, which was like so, the analogy that I made was when I was watching the first uh, festival. Uh, it's our abilities to see. I think you're going to talk a, a bit about that also from a dance point of view. That um, I was looking at some of the drummers here that play the same instrument I play. And then I was thinking, oh, from a technical point of view, I'm not far from them, I was thinking. Um, I was like, oh, they, they didn't do anything that I could not do technically, let's say. That was very interesting to see. Of course, they know the music inside and out, so they will have, let's say, there. it's not like any playing of instrument, any art form, it's not just a technique, it's about your expression of it. And uh, in this case of music, is actually knowing the music and knowing how to interpret it. In this case, is a third layer that is interpreted dancer. And uh, But I was like, I was very, let's say, uh, encouraged by the fact that, oh, I'm sort of close. And then I even wrote a text about it, uh, like on uh, social media, that was this, uh, the mountain that is not really a mountain, like the top of the mountain is actually the first base station because there is a lot more to go. And that was in a good way. Like I thought, oh, wow, now there's all these other things that I have to learn. And watching the way that they perform day in and day out, like every night going to perform to all kinds of dancers, that was very interesting too. As you were saying, they may not be following the same way that they follow, let's say, the local dancers or the dancers that know these codes. It's basically as if the dancer is the best way to narrow it down. The dancer is the maestro. Conductor. The conductor, yeah. yeah. So he goes and she tells what's going on. There are little signals, and but it's not a codified thing. It's not like a, like a conductor that he will do certain things that will be specific that everybody will understand. There will be things that are like more personal, like this... this there are elements of a common language, but there is also the specific accent and keywords, let's yeah. say, secret yes. words. So seeing that from the... Because um, one thing when you see from the audience, it's another thing when you play with the musician, so you're seeing from the back. So I was able to see how the musicians interact, how, uh, for example, there is usually one uh, melodic instrument guy that is the main musician that will conduct in the terms he knows the whole song every all songs and he says okay now is this part is that part and there's like little cues just reminders because there's so many songs that they have to play cold it's basically karaoke for dancers and they um and then the drummer like the, the tablo player he has three things in his mind at all times he has to be in communication with the lead musician he has to be uh, guiding his backup drummers. So it's sort of like if you have a chorus, like in violin, you have a chorus and you have uh, a soloist. But in this case, the drummer is also the conductor for the, um, the backup drummers because certain things will be adapted on the fly and you have to keep visual cues of what's going on. And he also has to, the drummer also has to follow the dancer. Um, to and sometimes singer. Yes, and the singer too, yes. So it's this uh, multi-layered, multi-dimensional thing that is way beyond the music itself. Um, and it was amazing also to see, just to finish off my experience with, uh, with the music, is that first of all, they were, usually they don't, for whatever reason, uh, foreigners don't play in these bands, so for, well, I guess for a number of reasons. Um, uh, but I was able to perform and they were so welcoming they were like, uh, like very sweet guys, and they were like always like, uh, like saying all oh, the way you play and this and that. Even they were talking about like legendary accordion master from here. These guys have this great experience with music, and they appreciate that like a foreigner was able to like to. And also, I guess they appreciated my trying to learn as well. So that was really really cool, and. Um, and I was able to see a lot of the drummers. That that was very cool. It does not happen that way much necessarily in the dance world, although it does happen. But I did not see any animosity between the drummers. The lead, there are like say three, four lead drummers, and each one of these guys, which are at the top of their field, they play for different dancers. Basically, it's the dancer hires the the band. That's how it works here. She's the leader of the band in a way, and so he follows her, and he's like the official. A drummer for this dancer and then of course they develop a relationship that he knows how to follow her specifically her him specifically so i saw what four different 
of the top drummers in Cairo and possibly the world in this style. Um, and they were all nice to each other. They were hugging. They were talking. They were actually like... One thing that they do all the time too that is very cool, they're geeking out about music. So they go, oh, look at this old recording from, oh, oh look at this. And then when you go to the rehearsal, they are, oh, let's try to do the dun dun tak like this way in the song. Like So they're always playing, playing around. I'm sure there is like any area, like intrigues and whatever, but they usually try to be very warm to each other. Even though we were seeing each other every day, it was very tiresome. Some shows, as Yana mentioned, went until 4 a.m. And some guys were playing until 9 a.m. in workshops. So it was incredibly tiresome. Uh, but they always had like smile on the face, always playing, always happy. And next day, how do they meet? Oh, hello and kiss and hug as if they haven't seen each other for, for months. And it's, it was really cool experience for me. And uh, it's sort of like, and that's how I think it adds to, um, to I guess for the Belladance Festivals, as you said about inspiration, happens with whenever you see uh, people great at their field and also kind, you see all the possibilities of things to do and inspires you to, to go get better, you know? So that, that was, to me, the experience that was amazing here. Well, as uh, someone told to us, and we kept repeating it already several times on our episodes, Cairo is definitely multi-layered. And now we are discovering these this, this layers and it kind of, the, like, I start really understanding why people why Cairo sort of like sucked people in and made them stay for a longer time. But uh, as we were discovering like this music scene, like also during the festivals, uh, it was not only inspiration, uh, in general, like the typical one, oh, go to dance classes, they learn this choreography, combos for later to practice, but it's also for this trip, for personally for me, um, I completely discovered this whole world of actually how the interaction between dancer and musicians happen. And it's not like I didn't know about it before. Like, it's not like completely new topic, but still I did not expect that it's to this much extent. And I wish actually more festivals somehow digged deeper on this topic because they kind of throw off and on dances, okay, go do performance to live band. Maybe if you're lucky, you have one run, one rehearsal right before on the day of the show. But here also we need to clarify uh, that Arabic music or Egyptian music, it's different than Western music in a sense that each song, or the songs that specifically are played uh, for the purpose of dance festivals and belly dancing, each song will have multiple sections, and the original recordings of the songs are often 30, 40 minutes, sometimes even longer. Obviously, nobody will play the full original version of the song, and original version of the song was not created even for dancing, it was afterwards adapted for dancing, so they're going to play shorter version, but each band will have their kind of own version. So it's the same song you will recognize, but the arrangement will be slightly differently. So you never know which section they will play, which section they will not play. So rehearse, and sometimes even if you rehearsed, they may forget because they're playing nonstop. It's just, they're also humans. Sometimes it happens. Um, so a lot of dancers, they are freaking out and, com uh, that, oh my God, I don't know, like you, you don't feel you can do choreography and for many dancers, choreography is, it's a comfortable zone, but you need, you kind of need to improvise, but improvise like the, you know, song it's still you don't know exactly how they will play to you. And another part that sometimes you get rehearsal and then many dancers complain, but they play differently during the show, which again, like. They are humans, and it's not like they're writing down, oh, for this dancer, do this section and all this section. Sometimes they play the same song several times on the same evening, so they will not remember if you ask them, oh, can you play this section? And then another dancer didn't ask, but asked for another section. They will play their own version, and sometimes they will mess up. It's normal. It, everyone is human. What I discovered, what actually happens with Egyptian dancers, because they may forget to change or adjust things, even if you're not a foreign dancer and they see you first time. Even if they're playing with dancer on a regular basis here in Egypt every day or every week uh, or several times per week uh, for many, many years, still things happen. 
And actually, it's not their job to completely memorize every song and every section. Of course, yes, they have to. But here you as a dancer work as a conductor. And I wish more festivals were talking about this because it happened just in one of the events, a couple of workshops that I caught, plus communication with musicians and communication with dancers on this topic beyond workshops. That's what gave you like, oh my God, it's this much communication. It's this... Uh, sorry, it's this deep, completely new field, completely new world uh, that I thought I knew about and now I realize I did know nothing about it. It's basically, if you know what to do as a dancer, you can correct them on the spot. You will hear, oh, they are going into this section, but wait, they didn't finish what I wanted. So you give them a signal so they can hopefully on spot readjust and actually do the section or maybe like ah they're taking too long what's going on it was not like in the rehearsal you can give them a signal again to speed up to the point that there are several signals that okay if you're doing a chest accents and the drummer is behind you so he will not see do you want three accents or do you want four accents and it's not like you are following necessarily his music but again you can cue him do three accents here. So there is this non-verbal communication that happens all the time on stage. And of course, it's not just, oh, you're cute or you're creating music and you are, uh, let's say, controlling the drama. No, of course, he will also sometimes give uh, you and you follow him. But also there is a lot of possibility of how you can go to. So instead of complaining about, oh, they messed up this or that section, you have much more power than you think to make sure that they played what you wanted them to play so you can communicate. In this case, you can create not necessarily a choreography, but certain parts you can plan. Oh, I really want to do this kind of element or this kind of like movements on this section. And you know, uh, you, you, are not, you are a little bit less stressed in terms of what if they will play something else. Of course, when you get to the level of dancer, who knows all this communication and can fully communicate and conduct, let's say, uh, not conduct, uh, I don't know, guide or help the band to remember. Because in this case, it's why I said before, it's not really their main job to memorize uh, exactly every doom and tag. And it's actually like your responsibility as a dancer to remind them. So they rely also not only on their memory, which they have a great memory, but they also rely on seeing what you're doing to, as a reminder for them of what is coming up or what should be happening right now. And of course, if you got to the level of dancer, who actually can do this communication and conducting of the band, I assume you will be very much uh, not comfortable, like not stressed, but comfortable with even situation that things don't go right or don't go as planned. And in this case, uh, once you know this language and these tools, it gives you also opportunities and possibilities. You can either do some choreographies, again, it's, I don't think it ever will happen as an actual choreography from beginning to, to the end, how we in a foreigner's belly dance world consider it. But the main sections, the main elements, you will be able to choreograph and maybe connecting points you will leave for improvisation or whatever. But you can do basically, you have opportunity at least there in space to do choreography and hope that it will happen like that. Or you so much know the music and you so much know like, okay, in this place I want this kind of accents or this place, I want this section, this song, like you just know the music and you can freely improvise. Even if you don't necessarily know specifically which movement you, you will uh, have, but you know what's coming up so you can be prepared and be spontaneous. And that's what happens. Some of the shows, they were like, and we were talking uh, afterwards, uh, uh, communicating with artists and we, what we saw, like they were choreographed and probably very, very rehearsed. But some shows, like there was uh, one artist uh, that um, performing at different several festivals that we happened, we were attending multiple festivals, and I saw it's the same program, it's the same songs, it's the same costume, but dancing is different. 
Like, and I remember specific moments that they're like, oh, I remember them in the song. The structure of what was happening in the dance itself, it was different. It was not the same as like three days ago I saw, like, oh, like a week ago I saw at another festival. All the movements, this accent or this, not, I will not remember, you know, like particular accent, but like strong uh, upbeat or accented part, like, oh, it was interpreted dance-wise differently before. So again, it gives you then more range of um, opportunities and this is something that unfortunately I was like how so like I'm learning this dance for so long time and it's not like I didn't know like I knew nothing about this kind of like area relationship between dancer and musicians and dance and drama but to this extent I could not imagine and I wish it was more talking about yeah, especially in the dance circles like for dancers to fully understand and appreciate because that changes your understanding of what you see on stage happening. yeah and uh, just to, uh, another thing that i think this ties also to uh two things about like arabic music in general and i think then it got connected to the idea of arabic dance too uh, that i remember like when i was having a couple classes with the oud which is sort of like the grandfather of the guitar. It's this like bulky instrument that is fretless. And it's very important in Arabic music, although not in Arabic belly dance music in Egypt for some reason. Actually, there is a specific reason, but uh, not very common. But it's uh, one of the staple instruments of, um, of Arabic music. And I remember the, the teacher in, uh, in Canada, he was talking about, okay, there are the notes, and there are the notes between the notes. And the idea is what they, the way that they consider, and it's not jazz, because jazz is about improvisation. Jazz would be the closest cousin to this approach, which has improvisational elements to it. But this one is different. It's like the way that they put it is, and I think it will tie to dance too. That is the way that they do it. And it's what I like actually about Arabic music is that every musician we have their own interpretation of a song, but it's not like you're doing a cover of that song. You know, this is my version, and then I always play that way. It's like sometimes every night it will be different, or I feel like doing it in a different way. So the structure of the music will still be the same, or the notes, the melody, all will be the same, but you'll do your own spin to it, including changing. Okay, I'm not going into this section, I'm going to do this other section that was previously. The chorus goes not twice, but three times this time. This happens. Um, this happens and I think it's awesome that it happens and it makes music interesting because I was, uh, I think I mentioned this in previous episodes, but like in Western music, usually we want to hear exactly like the, it's in the recording or it's a, say the canonic version of the, of the, of the, of the song. That's what I want to hear. To the point that whenever you have a cover band or U2 cover band or Beatles cover band or this, it's how the, the, the merit is in how well can you do exactly like the, the original musicians. And here, technically, if you're thinking, unless it's an original composition, it's basically covers, right? But they're not a cover band from Kothum. They're doing their own interpretation of that. So with that said, there is this, it's like this other element that happens that it goes into, for the dancer, something that Jan was mentioning, that the, the dancer is sort of the conductor. So just to give you one example, let's say that in the original recording, there is a, a tremolo, right? The tremolo is when you go like on, on, with the drum, for example, just to give a simple example. What the dancer will do maybe is uh, uh, something that will have this shaking element to it, like a shimmy, right? So the way it works live with Arabic music is the dancer will not wait for the cue of the music to do a certain, um, uh, a certain kind of movement. She'll initiate that movement and the musician will catch it. And then she says, no, I want this improvisation part to go longer. No, I got, now I want something more upbeat. Now I want this. So she's conducting in that sense. And that's a new art form in my, my new in the sense that I haven't seen before. It's a very old one, but yeah. it's only particularly like I don't know in other countries of Middle East and Near East, I don't know, but it's a very particular thing here in Cairo. This will not apply even if you're working with Egyptian musicians outside of Cairo, it's not necessarily gonna be the case. And it's not necessarily that you will 
when you work with any musicians who know how to play Arabic or specifically Egyptian music, that they will know or expect. And for many musicians, it will be even the concept itself. Like, what do you mean I, I follow the dancer? It's, it's, it's just a different mindset, thinking. And it's also the fact that even in Egypt, it's a different thing. There is a drummer, if you're talking specifically about drummers, there is a drummer who works for dancers, who specializes in playing during shows for dancers. There are drummers who work with, let's say, classical uh, music repertoire, and there are drummers who work with singers. It's three different fields in drumming. So they all know the beats, they all know the same songs, but the same song will be played differently depending on the purpose and this kind of like niche, let's say. So this is a very, very particular thing that I haven't seen so far anywhere else, anywhere else like uh, yeah i don't this, know we'll see these other musicians but so far like it's in yeah. Cairo, that's what happened and also like this thing that's one of the things that you were talking about oh why can't it be taught and then it's like of course as i mentioned there was this new song that uh one of the lead dancers he was going to perform and he spent he spent a few hours rehearsing that song of course they were learning it was a difficult one but some of the, let's say, top dancers, the teachers, they will have like rehearsal time. And another thing that I just thought about it too, that which will decrease the level of uncertainty of what's going on, right? But the other thing that happens too is the, let's say, the Western um, way of, not even Western because Chinese, Koreans will think the same way, but this... Non-Egyptian, non like foreigners yeah. for Yeah, for they Egypt. will go, let's say, I made a mistake. You freeze because you're always worried about making a mistake. And the way that I see it is that both the musician and the dancer are using the music as a playing ground. Mm -hmm. They're both using the same source material. It's not the musicians are karaoke that it has to play perfectly for the dancer, nor the dancer has to follow exactly whatever was recorded in this one time. Another thing that is very interesting that I think I haven't talked to you about that is very cool. For me, going to so many rehearsals and so many uh, shows, they learned the originals. They did not learn the version that the dancer thinks is the classical version. So there are some recordings, some arrangements of certain songs, as Jan was saying, there's some certain songs that are 40 minutes long, and then they got compressed to, okay, you sometimes have vocals, sometimes not have vocals. So, uh, they have these versions, which became very popular because they're very dancing and very nice in the West. That's the ones that the belly dancers know. But the way that the musicians here learn, they learn the originals. Yeah. So for them, that's the reference, right? And, um, and then also this thing that, they, that it happens there, that it's not a mistake. It's something that organically happened and you deal with it, both from a music point of view and the dance point of view. Let's say that the 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 he went into a different part, or the dancer wants to go into into a different part. So she will, as we we're mentioning, signal. And to me, it was very cool to see because I've never seen that with those top dancers from uh, from behind the curtain. Let's say so. I, I'm part of the chorus. So let's say I am the dancer. I'm gonna move. If you're in the audio, I'm sorry. But uh, let's say the person is looking at the audience. Whenever they turn back to the musicians, they'll give cues, sometimes even spoken cues. You're seeing the back of the dancer, but she's giving a couple cues, like subtle to, or sometimes they will actually be very casual and stop and go towards the, the musician and say, oh, do this now, you know? And, uh, and again, since we're talking about hundreds of songs that they potentially play without rehearsal, uh, I think it's actually a very small version of mistakes. And the other trick too that I noticed is that if you get a more obscure version of, let's say, Uncle Thum song or something that dancers don't usually dance to, they're perfectly done. Because there are not three, four different versions that are, that are famous. There's the one version, the accents will always be on those spots, the, it will finish all this way because they have a specific way that they finish. And it's not like you have four or five different versions of the song, like, uh, like uh, uh, mm -hmm. Alf Lelia Leila or all these other songs. Okay, which version do you want? And then you practice and you choreograph the specific thing and they don't do that. So you're not taking advantage of, but you're not also taught 
to do yeah, it. Yeah, you, you're not basically, you don't understand what you're doing, what you're supposed to do. And on this note, referring again, if some dancers are watching us and also discover these new things, please don't misunderstand any of this. It's not like you, next time you're gonna go to Egypt and perform this live band, you need to start bossing, bossing them around, around and like, no. Please don't do that and don't direct that because that would be quite rude. You need also to understand that in this case, most likely, uh, you see those musicians first time in your life. They see you first time in their life. They don't know your body language. They don't know your expectations, your level. So, and you have a very limited uh, number of times. So do, and you, you probably don't really know how to lead properly like and yeah. what you're supposed to do so don't take it you know like okay now i'm gonna be in charge and every doom and tag i will do something and then i will like, yell and and uh, or expect them to follow me somehow magically like no it's, it's a first date yeah it's the <laughs> first day like it's basically you need to develop you need to know and every band will have slightly different language vocabulary let's say so some things will be common sense but some will be particular so Usually the dancers who either work with this band before or had a lot of experience, uh, they will know, like, they will pick up, like, okay, how to communicate and how to do it. But if you're, like, first time, please <laughs> don't, because we, I heard that artist date, Jan and Peter was talking, <laughs> I suppose, like, no, don't do that. But also don't be stressed, like, oh, but I don't know how to lead them, so uh, how is it going to be, how they're going to play? They will take over and they basically will start giving you like accents parts uh, and then it goes basically to the typical like you're trying to follow the music but again uh, whenever you didn't catch the doom and talk let's say it's the most uh, uh, worrying part for them so oh, i didn't catch all for the drummer too it's the same yeah so if he sees that you're not giving him any like strong visibly strong or not strong clear accents that he can catch at some point he'll start just playing because he will be bored like the lead drummer is not there to play the bass rhythm and the couple of main accents that i embedded in the song and by the way for this accents that i embedded on the song they will play them no matter are you dancing them or not yeah i'm talking about like this little limitations so or here i would like to have a couple like accents or hear a little shimmy or tremolo like you know of the original song, let's say. That's where the communication and improvisation happens because it is improvised in the sense you may throw something, the drummer they throws, so it's still two-way direction. But don't get stressed, like the whole purpose of this conversation was just to kind of slightly open the door to show like, oh, there is all this stuff because even us, we haven't figured out everything. We just... You just saw, oh, it exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, like, how much more stuff? I understand that we haven't even... Scratched the surface, yeah. Didn't even face it and, and realize, oh, it exists. I'm yeah. still sure there is way more layers and layers there. And this was just, like, more, like, share our experience of what we discovered. So that yeah. you know, and maybe you will get opportunity afterwards to get curious and discover more from other resources. And now you kind of know in which direction to start asking questions yeah. if you have opportunity. <laughs> this episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, bringing more consistency and more fun into your dance training online. Check it out at yanadanceclub.com, direct link in the show notes. And before you leave, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends, as well as leave a review on iTunes or any other app you're using to listen to the show. The more people know about this podcast, the easier it is for me to bring even more awesome guests. Until next time, keep shimming and keep dancing.